Today's story was inspired when I first had the thought experiment known as the cut and jelly experiment or the buttered card paradox. A thought experiment is defined on Wikipedia as an experiment that you carry out using only your imagination. You think about it. You can read a lot of them on the Journal of Irreproducible Results online. So the thought experiment goes like, say you have a cat, let's call him mm, Raffio. Raffio, like all cats, has the amazing ability to land on his feet if he falls or is thrown from a height. And it's not good to be cruel to animals, so let's not throw Raffio, okay? So you also happen to love buttered toast. Every morning you have buttered toast and you give Raffio some too before you leave for work. Because you're such a buttered toast enthusiast, you also happen to know that every time or nearly every time you drop a slice of buttered toast, it lands buttered side down. You also are a very avid experimenter. So you wonder, what would happen if I strapped a slice of buttered toast onto Raffio's back and threw him <clears throat> threw him down the balcony. What would happen? Will Raffio land on his feet? Or will Raffio and the buttered toast land buttered side down? I pitch this question to you, dear listener. What do you think would happen? If you have space in your brain to waste and to think about this like I did, um, what do you think would happen? I think that Raffio and the slice of butter toast will remain in perpetual motion. You might think I'm crazy, but this is the way I see it. If Raffio tries to land on his feet, technically the buttered toast won't let him. And if the buttered toast tries to land buttered side down, Raffio won't let it. Since they are both opposing each other's motion, they will remain in perpetual motion. See what I mean? Maybe you come home in the evening and find Raffio hovering above the ground and you pick him up like this is a daily thing, you know, this is something normal where you live and you offer him the buttered toast for dinner. Miyajua, say welcome to the Obscure Stories podcast. I'm Jerry Muguthi and on today's show, we think thought experiments. The first thought experiment is known as the bartender paradox. This paradox is best explained by Robert Heinlein in his short story, All You Zombies. This is an amazing read. If you want something to confuse you, to make you stand up and pace in your room, you should read this. It's amazing. All You Zombies by Robert Heinlein. So it, the paradox goes like, there's a girl whose name is Jane. Jane is an orphan who grows up in an orphanage and she never gets to meet her parents. Jane grows up and like all women, I mean almost all women, falls in love with a young man. The young man happens to be a drifter. He impregnates her and then he disappears. And guys, women are people too, so 
Just saying. Just saying. Nine months later, Jane has to give birth, obviously. But the doctor discovers that she possesses both male and female reproductive organs. In order to save both hers and the baby's lives, the doctor turns Jane into a man. Soon after the baby is born, it's stolen from the nursery. To be honest, Jane's life sucks. Unable to cope with the pain of losing a lover and a child, Jane, now Jane the man, who takes up the name unmarried mother for God knows what reason, goes to a bar to drink his problems away. At the bar, he meets an oddly understanding bartender, like all bartenders are not understanding. Anyway, the bartender says to him, we can solve this problem of yours easily. And Jane asks him, how? Well, I know a way we can travel back in time, correct your mistakes, if only we all had this option. (laughs) The only thing that Jane had to do was to agree to be a member of the time traveler's cause in exchange for the help that the bartender would offer. Jane at this point was in a a very low point in her life, his life, Uh, whatever, I'm confused. Jane agrees and Jane and the bartender step into a time machine because they just happen to have a time machine in the back room. Yeah, they step into the time machine and they travel back in time. Back in time, Jane falls in love with an orphan girl. He soon impregnates her. Then he and the bartender travel nine months forward and steal the girl's baby in the nursery. And then they proceed to travel 25 years earlier and they drop the baby at the doorstep of an orphanage. Afterwards, Jane and the bartender return to the future and Jane becomes a full-time member of the Time Traveler's Corps. A few years into the future, Jane disguises himself as a bartender and travels back in time for an important meeting with a lonely drifter. Ugh, I'm confused. What is this? What the hell is this? What does this all mean? Jane, the drifter, Jane's child, the bartender, heck, all of Jane's family members are all the same person. Mind equals blown. I'm the day bartender. At the early bird saloon And from six o'clock to noon I pour breakfast for the soaks Who can't hold a fork and spoon I take ham and scrambled egg Then I draw one from the keg And mix them in the blender I'm the day bartender Back in the 1990s, there was a game in Kenya known as Omo Pika Box. It was sort of like a spoof of Deal or No Deal, although I'm really not old enough to to know which of the two came first. How it worked was that a contestant would play a series of mind-boggling games and then they earn some money. They would then be given a chance to choose between boxes that were presented to them. Newcomb's Paradox is a lot like this game show. You're given two boxes, box A and box B. Box A is transparent and you can see that there's $1,000 inside. That's a lot of money, but wait for it, wait for it. Box B is opaque and could contain nothing or a whopping $1 million. There's also a machine known as the predictor. This is like the twist. The predictor always predicts 
which box you will choose in advance. And he is considered practically infallible. The game starts and the prediction has already been made. So the predictor already knows which choice you're going to make. And because of this, the contents of box B have been altered as such. In this game, you have two choices. You either choose box B and only box B, or you choose both boxes, box A and box B. Note, if the predictor said you would pick both boxes, then box B is empty. If the predictor said you would pick box B, then box B has a million dollars. Think about it for a moment. What would you do? Would you pick both boxes or just box B? Picking both boxes always results in you getting the most money, right? If the prediction is for both, then your decision becomes a matter of choosing between both for $1,000 or just box B for $0. But even if the prediction was that you would only take box B, taking box B only gives you $1 million. But if you take box B and box A, you get $1,001,000. So again, the smarter move seems like let's choose both boxes. Well, no matter what you think, the smart move is to always, always pick box B and only box B. Why, you ask? Remember, the predictor is always right. So if you choose box B, it can never ever be empty. Because the predictor would have made an incorrect prediction. He would have predicted that you would take both boxes. And because the predictor is infallible, there's no way he is wrong. Since he is infallible, choosing box B would always, always give you a cool $1 million. So, I dare ask, how good of a gambler are you? Really, how good are you? Je crois que je t'aime, je ne sais plus Pourquoi me t'aime, je ne sais plus Je crois que je t'aime, je ne sais plus Pourquoi me t'aime, je ne sais plus This paradox is about a ship known as Thesis. Imagine that Thesis is a newly constructed ship. This ship will remain seaworthy for hundreds of years due to constant repairs and replacement of parts. As soon as a plank gets old and rotted, it is replaced by a new one, and so on and so on, until every working part of the ship is no longer original to it. All its old parts are replaced by new ones. Out with the old, in with the new. Question is, is the current ship of Thesis the same one or something completely new? If not, at what point did it stop being the same ship? Now, go a bit farther and ask yourself. Say we take the old pieces. We go around the world, around the seven seas, and we pick up all the old pieces that we had thrown away and we build a ship using all these old pieces. Now we have two ships. One ship made up of all the new parts and another ship made up of all the old parts. So which of these two ships is the ship of Thesis? This paradox is about identity. We know that human cells regenerate 
every so often. So the person you were five weeks ago, the person you were five years ago is not the person that you are now. Your cells have regenerated and you're basically a new being. Say we take all the old cells that used to make you up and we build another you or we build several versions of you. Who would be the real you? Je crois que je t'aime, je ne sais plus Pourquoi me t'aimes, je ne sais plus Je crois que je t'aime, je ne sais plus Pourquoi me t'aimes, je ne sais plus This is a paradox about morality. More specifically, it asks the question, do the needs of one outweigh the needs of many? Imagine there's a madman. This madman has taken five innocent people and he has tied them to the trolley track like the track of a train. And there's a trolley car that is out of control and it's careening towards these five innocent people. Luckily, you are standing at just the right place and you could save the lives of these five innocent people. To your right, there's a lever and you can pull that lever and divert the trolley that is now quickly coming towards the people to a second track. There's a catch though. The madman is quite crafty and he has tied a single person. And by single, I mean one person, not an unattached human being. Uh, yeah, he has tied this single person to the second track. You have to act fast. You have to act very fast. Considering the circumstances, should you pull the lever or not? And there's another version of this that goes, say the five people were people you did not like or people that you did not know. But the one person on the second track is someone that you love, your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your child, your grandmother, I don't know, whoever you love, your teacher, your TA. That person is on the second track. Does it justify you not pulling the lever? Let that sink in. one of the more cooler paradoxes that I came across. This is really cool, people. It's about the ever-elusive infinity. One of my professors hates that term, infinity. What the hell do you mean when you say infinity? But whatever, it's, this is not about him. Not everything is about focus. Okay, close your eyes and imagine a grand hotel. Much more grand than any hotel you have ever seen or been to and chances are neither you nor I have been to such a hotel before because it does not exist. It is an infinity star hotel. So imagine that it's ancient looking, something like right out of the south of France, something right out of your favorite novel. Now imagine that it extends way, way up into the sky. You can't see its roof. And to your right, it's 
expansive as it is to your left, such that you can't see the edges. Well, this hotel has an infinite number of rooms. Hence, it is called Hotel Infinity. You arrive at the hotel ready for a much-deserved occasion, but it's full. But alas, the man at the front desk, he says, worry not, because I know how to solve all your problems. I'll just have all the guests move one room over. So the person in guest room one moves to room two, the one in room two moves to room three, and so on and so on. So there's now an infinite number of guests moving deeper into an infinite number of rooms, and you happily move into room one. If you think about it, there are now two sets of infinity. The first was the hotel before you arrived. There was an infinite number of guests in infinite number of rooms. Now, it has the same number of guests as it did before, plus you. So, is this infinity plus one? Also, bath control is a virtue, people. thought experiment and the multiverse theory have been constant companions of mine on nights when my singleness hits me hard. I think to myself, no, Jerry, no, you're not single because somewhere out there in some universe or world or other dimension, whether in this lifetime or in the past or one to come, there is an Jerry who is not so single. This paradox asks, where the hell is everybody? Do me a favor, look at the night sky. On a really good night, you should see lots of stars. If you live in a place lucky enough to not be affected by light pollution, that is, not anywhere near a big city. Are you looking at the stars? Do you see them? No, I mean, do you really, really see them? Now, don't be cheesy Ricky and think, Well, isn't that just beautiful? <laughs> Instead, be like Enrico Fermi and ask yourself, Where the hell is everybody? To a maximum, maybe there are 400 billion stars in our galaxy, the Milky Way, and there are an equal number of galaxies out there. That is, for every star in our galaxy, there is an equivalent galaxy, 400 billion galaxies, at least in the observable part of the universe. This approximates about 10 to the power of 24 stars out there. To put this into perspective, for every grain of sand on every beach in the world, there are 10,000 stars. That is a 1 to 10,000 ratio. Narrow that down. Really, really down. Which of these stars are like our sun? Scientists claim about 500 billion billion of them. Now, for each of these stars, is there an Earth-like planet, you ask? Scientists claim that there might be 100 billion billion Earth-like planets out there. By Earth-like, I mean planets that have the same conditions as Earth and can possibly inhabit life. Now, Further down, for each of these planets, is there a civilization that developed to an intelligent level equal to ours or even higher? Well, there could be 10 million billion such intelligent civilizations out there. And in our galaxy, the Milky Way alone, there could be about 100,000 such civilizations. And 
if there are such civilizations, aren't they curious about whether we exist as we are about whether they exist? This is why I implore you, I beg you, do not dare be cheesy Ricky. Because if there are such civilizations out there, and even if just a teeny weeny fraction of them, even as low as 1%, have tried to send out signals, we should have picked up a signal or signals by now. But we have never, never have we ever picked up a signal sent to earth from somewhere out there so what you really should be thinking is where the hell is everybody as if that is not enough to make you rip out your brain and mock it for its inferiority consider this our sun is like a baby sun it's pretty young in terms of the age of the universe so in theory there has to be an older sun out there and orbiting that older sun should, in theory, be an older Earth-like planet. What does that mean? It means there has to be a far more intelligent, far, far more advanced intelligent civilization than our own. A civilization that is at least 3.46 billion years ahead of us in terms of development. And this is us assuming the same lifespan with that of Earth. Such a civilization, mathematically speaking, should be at a point where they can harness energy from their host sun. And they should have even mastered interstellar travel at this point. At least this is where we expect Earth to be 3.46 billion years from now and if there is such a civilization which in theory there should be we would expect them to be very noticeable they would be like a bully or at least we expect that they would have tried to make contact or responded to our signals but they are quiet these people are mum invisible so again ask yourself where is everybody this is a fermi paradox I have links to the website to great articles if this tickles your fancy. I know it tickles mine. There are a ton of possible explanations to this paradox and it's so cool. I have linked them on the website www.obscurestories.com. I will share my favorite theory with you. You will mock me for having a favorite theory, but I will have you know that my self-esteem is a 15-foot tall man. Are any of you over 7 feet? No? I rest my case. This is called the Great Filter Theory, also known as my favorite theory. The theory says that there's a wall, a sort of filter beyond which no life can exist. This means that the civilizations we expect to contact us are beyond the Great Filter. They are all dead, and this is why we have never heard from anybody before. The question is, where in the timeline are we? After the filter? Therefore, we made it through the filter and are therefore special beings. In which case, why are we special? Or, if the filter is yet to come, we are by every sense of the word, screwed. I don't have the answers, to be honest. I'm as dumb as you. But we can talk about this and maybe unravel one of these impossible questions as obscure stories, I don't know, theorists. Is there such a word, theorists? Um, question is, do you like the Obscure Stories podcast page on Facebook? Do you? A bunch of us are hanging out there talking about how to kick out Cheesy Ricky from the page because he keeps posting inspirational quotes on the wall. Stop it, Ricky. Not all of us are happy-go-lucky chucks. Maybe you don't do Facebook. 
We get it. You're cool. We like that about you. This is why we're on Twitter as well. At Obscure Stories. You can check out the free music archives for all the podsafe music you heard in this episode. The links to more and more thought experiments out there. I just couldn't cover all of them. There, there's loads of them and they're ton and I... I love reading about them. I will put links to some of them on the website www.obscurestories.com so be sure to check that out. That's all for today guys. Jerry signing up. Stay curious.